0: give him some feedback. Let him know what you thought, and uh, I'll be talking to him as well, but thanks, Jeremy. Good job. Good job. Um, it's always good to see men stepping up to want to fill the role of pastor in whatever capacity God calls them, and so I'm, I'm excited. I can't show it all on, on the outside, but it's, uh, it's been fun, and uh, hopefully in the spring sometime we'll ordain Jeremy the pastorate so praise the lord for that if you have your copy of god's word i would love for you to turn to the book of mark chapter 14 we're going to be starting at verse 43 jesus declared three different times in the book of mark how he was going to be arrested tried sentenced killed buried and raised he said it over and over again but it still caught the disciples off guard but they, he had told them exactly what was going to happen. So now the first event really materializes. We're going to see it right here. The betrayal. Oh, the betrayal. One of the most horrendous acts in history. It's, it's terrible. Uh, even, even non-Christians who read this or, or see this and they hear it for the first time, they realize how heinous it is. Yet all of this was designed by God for his purposes. So let's follow, follow along with me as I read verses 43 through 52. Remember, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where our setting is. He has scolded the, the disciples for sleeping and not praying. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, is the one, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. One of those who, drew, who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked let's pray father we can't even wrap our minds around why you would allow this to happen but we know that by your sovereign omnipotent omniscient hand it had a purpose and we see the end result we see what happens at the end our salvation but help us now father understand that this little incident can point to our own hearts And show us ways we might have betrayed you. And we can seek forgiveness for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, betrayal is the ultimate breaker of relationships. It's the ultimate rejection of any relationship that you've ever seen. Among friends. It turns our stomach. It ignites our anger. Because it's such a betrayal of trust. It's such a a disregard for the intimacy you might have had with a friend or, or, or someone in your family. But have you ever saw your sin as a form of betrayal? God can redeem your betrayal if you allow him. Psalms 106 was clear about that. So the betrayal of Jesus by one of his own followers seemed unthinkable. But in the kingdom of God, it was planned. So God uses even our heinous betrayals, even our own private betrayals that we may do, betrayals of him to further the kingdom of God. So what types of betrayal do we see in this event in the garden? Well, let's look at this episode and we'll see how Jesus' betrayal shows us six types of betrayal. Six types of things that are our own betrayal. God's sovereign use of Jesus' betrayal is meant to reflect on us. So we're going to just explore this and the narrative of this and, and uh, talk about it a little bit. First of all, verses 43 through 44. This is number, the number one type, the first type Of of betrayal that goes on in this story. It's premeditated. Let me read those verses again. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. You see how premeditated this was? I mean, he had planned this out. Him and the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they had all, all planned this out. And it, this planning proved how ruthlessly they hated Jesus, how angry and frustrated they were with him, how much they wanted to wipe him out. Judas sold his soul to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which in Old Testament law is the price of a slave. If you hurt a slave or injure a slave where he can't work for someone anymore, you gave that, that owner 30 pieces of silver. So if you want to know what a human life's worth in the Old Testament, it was worth 30 pieces of silver, which is sad to say. But he had sold his soul, and the Judaism leaders had accepted his offer, paid him his money, and now sent him with police, or um, they, Mark calls it a mob, police from the temple to arrest him and carry it out. Mark calls it a mob. Luke and John calls it a band of soldiers. Uh, They were coming. It was almost like a SWAT team coming down on Jesus. I mean, it was so overwhelming. Matter of fact, one writer, I think John, uses the term cohort, which could be up to 600 soldiers. More than likely, it was not necessarily that many, because that would have created quite a stir. And the whole point of this was to keep it below everybody's eye level, not to be seen. So Jesus even took one of the most intimate acts between friends, and he had made an arrangement with these guys. He had premeditated this. A kiss was a very, very intimate thing you did with a master, a mentor, a friend, a family member, and he used it to identify Jesus in the garden, to identify Jesus to the soldiers. Think of the Garden of Eden, I mean the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, how dark it might be. I mean, we got got street lights everywhere just about, and if we have a park, usually it's got lights in it. They were coming with torches, yes, but it's still dark. Judas wanted to make sure they got the right person. This is Judas, who shared three years of intimate travel with Jesus. His feet had even been washed that very night by Jesus Christ, a very menial, servant-oriented task. He'd shared a Passover meal with Jesus. And he shared many other meals, a very intimate thing that people did. All of these are signs of trust, signs of allegiance to someone. And Judas was using every bit of it. But you know, Jesus knew Judas was going to reject him. Jesus knew that Judas was going to reject the gospel to to disregard the truth that Jesus brought to him about the kingdom of God. He knew Judas, Judas would not allow truth and grace to change his heart. He wasn't surprised by that. Judas had an ambition and now he had his prestige. Here he comes marching through the garden of Gethsemane with this entourage of of soldiers or whatever it was behind him. He led an armed mob. He was accorded respect now. I'm getting the respect I deserve, he thought. He's turning in an insurrectionist. That's how he sold it to to Rome. That's how they sold it to the scribes and Pharisees, sold it to Rome. He believed he was now one of the elite Jews. He had earned favor with the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees and the, and the, and the priests. He was, he was now one of the elite. He was also a Roman informer too. He convinced himself that he had arrived. This was his moment, his pinnacle of success. It was all premeditated because he wanted to be first. He wanted to be noticed. That's the first type of betrayal we see here, premeditated. There's a second type, verses 45 through 46. So when he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. They took hold of him and arrested him. This type of betrayal now is just treacherous. He went through with the whole thing. Maybe planning is one thing, but actually to execute it. There are other accounts that even have some more intimacy involved here. In Matthew, Jesus has Matthew has Jesus saying, friend, do what you came for. Like, you're not surprising anybody. You're not being special here. You're not you're not hiding anything by kissing me. Luke records that Jesus says to him, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Jesus, Jesus knew what he was doing. It was treachery that fueled Judas's proud and angry heart. And he quickly went up and kissed him. Immediately, Mark says, because he didn't want him to get away. Because Mark, had, I mean, Judas had seen Jesus do this before. He would escaped. There was a crowd trying to throw him off a cliff to Nazareth. And Jesus just walked through the crowd and got away. There's other times that he just disappeared in a, in a, in a clandestine kind of way to get away from them. So Judas, Judas went up to him quickly. He wanted to kiss him so that the guards could grab him so he could earn his 30 pieces of silver. And the kiss was an, um, an admittance by him that he was a witness, that Jesus was causing an insurrection, that he was someone that was dangerous to the Roman Empire, especially to the Jews as well. And in the darkness of the garden, Judas left no doubt that who he was betraying, he kissed him. He wanted to earn that favor at Christ's expense. Judas's kiss made it very plain. I mean he even did the same he even did a more intimate thing by calling him rabbi before he kissed him very affectionate term not used very often for someone you're going to betray but Judas used everything he had at his disposal his allegiance his inner circle existence all of that the trust and allegiance that, that Jesus had afforded him he used to betray him treacherous very treacherous And they seized Jesus and arrested him without even giving him a charge. I mean, we're used to presenting someone with a charge before you arrest them and giving them Miranda rights and all that. That was not done. They just arrested him without even charging him with anything. And they took him away under guard. And then there's another type. In verses 47 through 48, there's a very defensive type of betrayal. Let me read that for you. Verse 47 through 48. One of those who stood by drew his sword struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear jesus said to them have you come out with swords and clubs as if i were a criminal to capture me well we know who the one is right if you go to john's account john dimes him out john's the only one that tells us it's peter and you know john and peter were together a lot in in this i believe i believe john dimes peter out by this point because i believe peter's dead I believe he's been crucified by the time John writes his gospel, that, that Peter has been crucified by legend upside down in Rome. So he tells us it's Peter. And Peter cuts off really part of Malchus's ear. Malchus is the high priest servant. John tells us that too. Um, he, cuts off, he doesn't really cut off the whole ear. Um, the word in Greek is actually means a small part of the ear. So he tried to pierce his ear with a sword. I don't know. But he missed is what happened. He wasn't aiming at the ear. Who aims at an ear? You swing a sword, you're aiming at their neck. Peter was striking to kill. He was defending his savior, but that's not what Jesus wanted him to do. That's not what Jesus wanted him to do. It's a very defensive act. Instead of watching and praying, Peter would rather swing a sword, which is not Jesus' way. See, fishermen didn't carry Swords. Most, matter of fact, most Jewish citizens probably weren't allowed to carry a sword. That's why the tax collectors had a Roman guard with them, because they couldn't defend themselves with a sword. They weren't allowed to have weapons. But Jesus knew that they had brought two, and that's another, in another account as well. But Jesus did not intend for them to use the swords. He didn't. He was making an object lesson in that particular gospel. But nevertheless, Peter cuts off the earlobe of Malchus, and Jesus reaches down and heals it completely unnoticed by everybody else nobody else saw it but malchus knew it (laughs) and someone knew it to record it for us malchus knew that jesus had healed his ear but the miracle wouldn't matter it wouldn't change anybody's mind they could see the miracle even they they had seen jesus raise lazarus from the dead after being dead four days all these people had been accorded that miracle they'd met lazarus they knew lazarus was alive and had been dead That didn't change their minds. See, miracles don't change people's minds. It doesn't change people's hearts. Miracles don't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can work out your salvation. So now Jesus kind of calls them out about their whole mob and, and putting Peter in a position to swing his sword. Why come like I'm an insurrectionist, starting a rebellion, leading people to fight? He's kind of asking that question. Why are you here doing that? You know, I'm not here leading a rebellion or or fight. Matter of fact, you've observed me. None of that's been my goal. Even when I may have had the opportunity on the triumphal entry with the crowd following him and praising him to turn around and become a general of an army, he didn't. He had not done anything criminal or treasonous or illegal all his days. And he never, ever hid from them. He wasn't hiding from them. He might have avoided being where they were all the time but he wasn't necessarily hiding the crowds always the crowds always gave him away matter of fact mark has pointed out many times the crowds kept following him so he couldn't even go into a town because it was so crowded he had to stay out in you know desert places and wilderness places and the crowd would come to him but peter really portrayed Jesus' statement about i'm not an insurrectionist when he swung his sword and that was a defensive betrayal a defensive act of betrayal. The fourth type is the ordained betrayal. Look at verses 49 through 50. Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then all deserted him and ran away. See, Jesus even points out for the past week, all day Wednesday of Passion Week, all day he'd been in the temple, Teaching, 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 arguing with them, disagreeing with them. Why didn't they arrest him there? Well, we know why. They didn't want to start a riot. They didn't want the people to be against them. They loved their popularity, so they didn't want to, to take that chance. So they technically were waiting until Passover was over and the crowds left and everybody's interest in Jesus had diminished. They were waiting for that. But Judas gave them an opportunity when he offered to betray Jesus. Now they're arresting Jesus outside the city walls, under the cover of darkness, in a very secluded place, which isn't really legal either. But they weren't keeping the law. But Jesus tells them the real reason why they're arresting him now. The scriptures must be fulfilled. That's always the goal. That's always the, the, the thing with Jesus. He was going to do his father's will. He was going to fulfill all the scriptures. That was God's will for him. This was ordained by God in ages past. Mentioned many times. Jesus is referring to all the prophecies that were ever made about the Messiah. And according to some person smarter than me that counted up, there's 333, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. The odds of that happening, astronomical. Can't even come up with a, a good illustration of that. He's referring to these. Many times the prophets have told of him what would happen. Jesus was to be numbered. With the transgression, transgressors, those who broke laws, he was be, to be treated with contempt. He was to be rejected by men. He was to be oppressed, afflicted, led to the slaughter like a lamb, silent. And the fulfillment of these passages started right there with that arrest, and God ordained it. We don't necessarily understand why. I might I'll try to explain a little bit later why, but this was an ordained betrayal. Judas was still committing a sin and a crime against God and Jesus, but God had already seen it, and it was necessary. The fifth type of betrayal is right here in the same passages, when all of them deserted him and ran away. Didn't Jesus just tell them that a few verses earlier? You will all leave me. You will be scattered. They will, stri- he will, strike-, they will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Well, that's Zechariah 13, and they fulfilled it to the T and they didn't miss a beat. Nobody hung around. Nobody said, wait a minute. He said we're going to do this. I'm not going to do this. You know, It was a spontaneous betrayal. Very spontaneous. They were completely unready for it, even though Jesus had told them about it. I don't know how many times I've done something. Oh, wait a minute. It's right in the Bible. Why do I do that? Anyway, where did they run to? Well, who knows? They ran somewhere probably where Judas didn't know they would be which means they didn't run to Bethany and then immediately didn't run back to the upper room because they were afraid probably Judas would bring the mob there. They weren't sure who Judas was betraying, just Jesus or all of them. We know that eventually Peter and John wound up in the courtyard of the high priest's house watching the trials. So we know that that eventually happened, which was kind of dangerous for Peter and John, but we'll talk about that next week. But they deserted Jesus right there in that spot like he predicted their faith, their courage, and their pride diminished right there. Remember, all 11 had sworn with Peter, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. I will not desert you. <laughs> and they did spontaneously betrayed Jesus. The sixth type of betrayal is in verses 51 through 52. And this one's kind of a, a funny passage when we read it. We all scratch our heads a little bit, but let me, let me read it. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. So I know what you're thinking, who in the heck was that? Who was that guy? Who was that linen clothed guy that was naked under a sheet? Well, I read a lot of books this week about it, and some thought it was Mark himself, because he's the only one that records this. They thought it was Mark who was somehow related to um, somebody in the disciples anyway. Some people even hypothesize that the upper room is in Mark's mother's house or something. But really there's no proof out there. There's no identification of who this really is. It could be one of the disciples that for some reason he was just clothed in a, in a sheet instead of normal clothes. Because it was very late at night. Maybe he had fallen asleep in the upper room and, and now they, just, they decided to go to the garden. I don't know. It doesn't really matter who it was the picture is what we really want to look at here the picture of what's going on he's in a linen cloth the police grab the the, grab him by the clothes and he just untangles himself and runs away naked now whether he had underclothes on we don't know but the point is is that he went to the most I mean that's that's just a shame basically by being naked they were a lot more um, modest than we were (laughs) we are It demonstrates utter humiliation. He ran away naked. He he, he, he didn't even want to stay clothed for the sake of Jesus. He, he He could have stayed there, got arrested too. Who knows who he was? Maybe he would have been released. But he was so afraid that they might hurt him, he ran away naked. Utter humiliation. And it's a complete betrayal. It's a complete betrayal of Jesus. Willing to run away naked to avoid being identified with Jesus. Willing to give up all your pride, all your decorum, if you will, for the sake of saving your own skin. In in the book of Amos, this is a connection to this maybe, the book of Amos chapter 2 verse 16 talks about stout-hearted men, brave men, running away naked because they've been humiliated by an enemy. That's complete betrayal. And that's the sixth type. So in these types of betrayal, God has used all of them to further his kingdom purposes. Even through these acts of treachery, he points to his kingdom. Now let me try to answer why in the world there needed to be a betrayal. And I'm, I'm not trying to guess God's mind. Because um, they had tried, like I said, to arrest Jesus many times. This wasn't the first time they tried to apprehend Jesus. But God planned it because it was the best way to show the world... How an innocent man died for sins he never committed. How he could stand that kind of treatment. The betray- this betrayal falsely put crimes on Jesus he never committed. That was the whole problem. They arrested him and didn't charge him. There's one problem. The second is they brought him to a high priest's house. They started having a, an informal, illegal trial. We'll talk about that more when we get to that. And, and they never could come up with a charge until Jesus gave them a charge and said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So th- they didn't have a charge. They didn't have any reason to arrest him. Their, their theory had no wa- could hold no water in that case. And Peter even uses this at the sermon at Pentecost. He points out to them that you arrested an innocent man. You had him betrayed. You killed him. An innocent man who happens to be the son of God, the Messiah. He points it out at Pentecost. You can go look at it in Acts chapter two. And that very fact convicts a whole bunch of people to get saved. People who had been part of this mob probably that came and arrested Jesus that night. But that's how God works. He uses things like that in his sovereign omnipotence and his sovereign omniscience to turn heinous betrayals into glorious events for the souls of men. Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter two, because I want you to see what, what resulted from this. I want you to see Jesus is betrayed, which we've, if we've ever been betrayed, you feel, I mean, you know how bad it is. It's, it's one of the worst things that can happen to you. I'm sure it emotionally hurt Jesus. But this is what happened because of this betrayal. Philippians chapter two, starting with verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself By becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen, and God glorified him, and from a betrayed man to a risen Savior, God orchestrated the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because he had to be perfect. He didn't revile back. He didn't, he didn't seek revenge to these men that were that the Judas that betrayed him or any of that. He just took it quietly. So now we need to look at our own hearts in relations to this. Our own hearts should imitate Christ. That's what the passage just said. Our own hearts should imitate Christ's attitude have the same attitudes yet our own hearts have probably betrayed jesus in some of these ways even since we became believers first of all let's look at a few of them premeditated jesus judas displayed no remorse or second thoughts as he marched into that garden and right up to jesus and kissed him he didn't show any remorse he didn't show any he had he had pre this he had premeditated this and we do the same thing when we knowingly refuse to obey something we know is wrong to obey something we know is right we we knowingly refuse to change our actions or change our intentions or change our habits that's a premeditated betrayal we premeditate a sinful betrayal when we set our minds on revenge or we set our minds on gossip or we set our minds on unkindness or unforgiveness i can list the list can go on and on and on some of it was right there in philippians too we premeditate that sin when we don't do this. But the good news, the good news now is we can be forgiven when we premeditate those sins. We can be forgiven. Christ will forgive a heart that renounces those sins and rejects their enticements. Judas's guilt after it was over. I mean, he had guilt. If you read the we'll read it other later places, but he didn't have a heart change. His heart didn't really change. He was just sad. And, and, and guilty that he had turned in an innocent man. But his heart didn't change like Christ would seek it to change. He even returned the money, threw it into the temple at him, and argued with them. You need to release him. You need to let him go. He's an innocent man. He even demanded that he be released from the, from the sin of this thing. But they wouldn't grant him any clemency. They said, that's up to you. And so he went out and he hung himself over guilt that he could not resolve. Guilt that could have been forgiven if he had repented, if he had confessed his sin. But he did not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear what Jesus had been teaching him for three years. He was, it was a premeditated betrayal. And we do that when we choose to commit sins we know are sins. Then there's the defensive betrayal. How many times have we reacted in a defending word or attitude when we feel slighted by someone? We we react. I had a I had a I was at a a kids thing one time when I was right after I became a Christian, and a, a little kid accused me of being a Bible thumper. A Bible thumper. I don't know if you know what that means. It means someone who walks around thumping people on the head with the Bible is what I thought it meant. And and he's like he was trying to make the fact that we all we cared about was the Bible and talking about Jesus, and I was really upset. I was defensive. And I said, no, I'm not. And a buddy of mine corrected me right there. He says, what a great thing to be called, a Bible thumper. Yes, I was humiliated. But we're, we're really quick to pull out a sword of words and swing it at people to try to hurt them when we get defensive. Even if the world says we're justified in responding, it doesn't mean we're justified in God's eyes to respond. Jesus didn't. He was not responding to this illegal betrayal. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. So we don't need to be so defensive. Freely admit when you've sinned. Freely admit that you're a Bible thumper. (laughs) And let let the chips fall where they may. Let God use it. The other one we want to look at this morning is the spontaneous betrayal. Betrayal many times we react to a situation with our natural instincts only to discover it betrayed our faith there was one time i was asked in the military i was young freshly in the military and these guys asked me if the ten commandments still applied today they knew i was a christian and you went to church all that kind of stuff and they were trying to kind of like trap me and i gave them a very vague answer about it instead of really giving them the truth i told them well you know some of them kind of thing and it was a wrong answer I didn't know what the real answer might have been, but I was doing it to avoid embarrassment. I was doing it to avoid an argument or conflict. I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of them. But we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us. We shouldn't be quick to, to spontaneously betray like we just got caught off guard. We just don't let things surprise us because we know who we are in Christ. Christ. So when life gets trying and life gets hard and people are challenging us or even trying to betray us, we've got to turn to Jesus even more and to be completely ready to stand for him. So how would you do that? You're going to hear me say this again. I've said it every time time I can. Prevention of these betrayals comes from spending time in God's word, remembering who he has promised you to be, who you are. You're a child of the creator of the universe, remembering that. Remembering the promises of God, our Father, who is your Father, who cares for you and loves you. No matter what's going on around you down here, you're still a child of God. And then prayer. Intimate communion with God. Intimate conversations with God. Let him know your feelings. God's big enough to take them. No matter how angry you are, he's willing to take them. But then you need to wait for him to show you how you're supposed to respond. Don't keep responding after you've prayed as if you know what you're supposed to do. Praying, just not, unless you're listening, it doesn't really do any good. And you listen by reading his word, for one thing. And then worshiping. I mean, it, it's really hard to curse somebody when you're worshiping God. I mean, you can do it probably, but you're not really worshiping if you do it. Worshiping, it lifts our spirit by song and prayer and words. Find some good worship music to listen to to keep you ready to keep your heart in the right place, your mind in the right place, to keep your heart assured that you are a child of the king. And I'm not talking just in this kind of worship. I'm talking private worship. That's a good, healthy thing to do on a regular basis. See, God used Jesus' betrayal to show us that even when death is on the line, we can always trust him to have a plan. Even if death is on the line, we can trust God that he's got a plan to get us out of it. So what if they'd arrested all 11 disciples and took them to trial too? God had a plan. But they ran away. Judas betrayed. It was horrific. But you know what? The results were fantastic. Because we have this. We have the salvation of our souls because all of that went on. And we have a scripture, 66 books, that are attested to by the fact that Jesus fulfilled 333 prophecies about himself. That it's truth, all of it. That's a great thing. God used his betrayal for a purpose. So, as I, I kind of wrap this up, you know, these 11 disciples, they betrayed Jesus in the garden because they ran away. But soon after his resurrection, these men took the message to the world. So see the grace in their lives? God showed them grace, even in the midst of their betrayals. Peter preached. 3,000 people got saved. John healed. James even died for his faith. He was the first apostle killed by the Romans for his faith. Others carried the message of Christ all over the world, eventually. God redeems their failures. They initially the 12 of them, when they added Matthias, they stood their ground in Jerusalem during intense persecution. When Stephen was stoned and killed, there broke out a persecution there in Jerusalem and Judea that was horrific. But they stayed. The apostles stayed. The rest of the Christians dispersed, which is how we got it all over the world. But they stood their ground there when I mean, the Romans and the Jews were persecuting like crazy. So I want us to take some time now in a pastoral prayer time to, to just pray for our own hearts. That, that we'll learn and grow stronger from the little betrayals that we've had in our life. That we'll pray for unbetraying faith. Because that's what we need, to let God redeem our failures. So let's have a time of silent prayer. If you want to come to the front, come on and pray. And then I'll close this out after a, little, after a minute.